one of the most difficult things to overcome today isn't a lack of knowledge or a, a lack of revelation. It's a lack of action. Harriet Tubman was born in 1822 to slave parents in Dorchester County, Maryland. Her parents had nine children, but three of Harriet's sisters were sold at an early age, and she never saw them again. When Harriet Tubman was about 26 years old, she learned that she might be sold away from her family. And she realized her time had come to try to escape. So she made her way some 90 miles along the Underground Railroad following the North Star until she reached Pennsylvania and freedom. Tubman settled in Philadelphia and took some odd jobs to earn some money, but she wanted to return to Maryland and rescue the rest of her family. So from Philadelphia, she dared to make a dangerous decision. She risked her own freedom in order to give others theirs. Over the next decade, as the American Civil War began to, to gain steam, Tubman braved 13 dangerous missions back to Maryland, rescuing over 70 slaves. She often traveled in the dark winter months, making it easier to travel incognito by night. Because of the dangers on the road, she always took her revolver with her. And she was also willing to use it to threaten any escaped slave who wished to go back because she knew that would endanger all of the escapees. Tubman had known the Lord since she was a child, and during these trips she relied upon God to guide her. She never once lost a runaway slave, as Harriet Tubman later put it, I never ran my train off the track, and I never lost a passenger. And she gave all the credit to God explaining, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. I always told him, I trust you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me. And he always did. God does amazing things when we take action. We've been talking about it for weeks here from the front, and it's pretty cool to see how God is weaving all these messages together, how they all build on each other. It feels like we're almost in an unintentional mini-series that the Holy Spirit is orchestrating here. But what's interesting is it's not just the preaching that's aligning. It's happening out there among you guys. And I've spoken to, to many people here at New Life who sense that God is about to release something very powerful during this season here at New Life. And Phil presented that beautifully two weeks ago in his message on vision. And it really resonated with me when he said this. He said, quote, it's never about us. It's God's initiative in response to opportunity out there. It's for others. There are hopes and dreams that many of you have had for years that you thought were dead, that God is resurrecting. And I believe that right now is, is a time of great release, a launching, if you will. In, in preparing for this message, I had the image of, of like a, a, a derby horse that's being led up to it's starting position, full of energy, ready to burst forth and to take action. And I feel like today the gate's about to go up. Now there comes a life, a time in your life when all of your training, all of your hard work is called upon to move forward. And I believe the word of the Lord to new life this morning is preparation time is over. It's time to take action. And for God 
for us to do what God is calling us to do, we need courage. Now, courage comes, the English word comes from the, the Latin root core, which means heart. Now, courage is defined as the ability to do something that frightens one, strength in the face of pain or grief. It's not the absence of fear, but it's action in the face of it. Many of you, if you're, you're, you're here today and if you're honest, you don't feel up to the task that's in front of you. You know what God said, you've gotten the revelation, but you don't feel like you have any place at all to do it. And, that, and if that's you today, I just want to tell you, you're not alone. The place of dependence is exactly where we need to be. My big idea for this message is when God calls us, he goes with us. When God calls us, he goes with us. My text today is Joshua chapter 1. But before we dive into the text, let's set the scene and understand some of the context. Joshua picks up right where Deuteronomy left off. And as it's closing, we have the people of Israel on the brink of entering the promised land after the the death of Moses. Now, the book of Joshua is saturated with God's grace. One of the key themes that runs throughout the book is that God gives and Israel receives. God is portrayed throughout Joshua as the faithful God as the God who who keeps his covenant. God is the hero of the story. One of the challenges that Becky and I would often face when we were in children's ministry was choosing a curriculum. So many of the materials that are out there and so many of the lessons were on how to model your behavior, how to to be a good moral example after uh, the person in the story. So in David and Goliath, it would be the moral of the story would be, be brave like David. Or if it was about Moses, it was, be a humble leader like Moses. Or, or if it's Esther, expect the best because God wants the best for you. Oh, please hear me. Th- those aren't wrong. It's just the wrong emphasis. Okay? And that's a challenge that we always need to consider when we read the Old Testament narratives. The heroes of the faith, they're only heroes because of what God did through them. Right? In today's text, the spotlight is not on what a great guy Joshua is, and how we should follow his moral example. See, we need to see into the text and read carefully so we see that God is the hero. God is the central figure, and God should be getting all of the glory. In fact, Joshua's name, which means the Lord saves, points away from himself and to God. So with that context in mind, let's go to our text, Joshua 1, starting in verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. 
do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, right away, some things jump out from this passage. When something is repeated in Scripture, you need to pay attention. We heard recently that when God calls your name, it is to grab your attention. Uh, But when he calls it again, it's to release something inside of you. It could be prophetic. It's often preparatory about what's to come ahead. God commands Joshua to be strong and courageous three times. Now, God tells Joshua that because of what's coming ahead, it's going to be difficult, very difficult. They're about to cross over into the promised land, and there are some serious battles coming. And I think we can see from these verses is that Joshua was afraid. He was discouraged. The text uses the word terrified, which is being so afraid that you're shaking and trembling from fear. So if God is calling us to take action and to be courageous, then we need to know how to get courage and what does it look like? Courage comes from God's promise. Verses 3 through 5, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. The promises here have roots stretching back hundreds of years to the time of Abraham. In verse 3 and 4, God is restating the original covenant to Abraham in Genesis 15, specifically that God would give this land to his descendants. And here, all of the history and experience of the people of Israel climax into this moment. Abraham, the patriarchs, Joseph, in the time of slavery in Egypt, the Exodus, 40 years of wilderness. So when Joshua hears that God will give him this territory, hundreds of years of history of God's faithfulness comes flooding into his mind. Joshua knows from experience that God is a covenant-keeping God. Now, God's commitment to his people is just, it's not just a contract where he's going to walk away from us if we don't hold up our end of the bargain. My Old Testament professor in class, he had a great illustration to help us uh, understand the difference between a contract and a covenant. He said, imagine coming home to your spouse after being uh, away for some time. Maybe it's a business trip, or, or maybe, maybe it's a men's conference or a women's conference, right? And he, he said, imagine this scenario. You walk in, and you say to your spouse, you know, I, I, just, I just want you to know, I, I've reviewed my, my rights and my responsibilities and, and I want you to know, I want you to know, I am more legally committed to you than ever. Right? That's crazy, isn't it? Listen, a covenant is both legal and relational. And the covenant God made with Abraham is one that God initiated and he takes the responsibility to make sure that it is fulfilled. And the marriage covenant in this example is meant to be a picture of God's unbreaking, sacrificial, and forever love. Listen, I think if we recovered the covenant understanding of marriage, we would see more couples and more families walk in the abundant life that Jesus talked about. 
Now, Joshua had seen God in action. He had seen his faithfulness to Moses firsthand, and he knew from his own experience that God is trustworthy. Joshua lived through the slavery in Egypt. He saw the plagues and the miracles during the Exodus. He walked through the Red Sea. He ate the manna. See, Joshua knew of God's faithfulness, not just theologically, but through experience. Now, there's also a prophetic encouragement embedded here in the promise of verse 5. God says that no one will be able to stand up against Joshua. Now, think about the power of that promise and how that must have stiffened the spine of Joshua in that moment. See, Joshua was no stranger to battle. He was a warrior. He had been in the trenches and had seen the blood and the horrors of warfare. And he knew his largest battles, the largest battles of his life laid ahead of him. And when God makes us a promise, we are naturally infused with courage. The spring and summer of 2007 uh, was a time of major transition here at New Life. There was a a lot of construction going on uh, as we were about to launch the, the atrium and this new sanctuary Now, that was also the time when the Yeomans were planning to uh, move away to lead the YWAM Kiev base. There was a lot of things going on, and we were approached about replacing Lori as the director of children's ministry. Now, I I say we, but it's really Becky who they wanted. I mean, we all know that, right? I was just tagging along. But we had some initial discussions with Pastor Tim that spring, but a decision had to be made by late June in order to have a smooth transition. And it was, it was a difficult decision. It was a difficult time. Becky was pregnant with Benjamin. Um, I, I'd never really worked with kids before. I didn't like kids. I still don't like kids. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Listen, there are many days when I was, wish I was back working in children's ministry. I miss those kids. <laughs> but listen, it was getting late, and we needed to give our answer. And the day of, the morning of the day that we were going to have lunch with Pastor Tim to give him our answer, we were still unsure. And Becky said, you better get upstairs and hear from God. telling you. It's a sense of urgency there. And I prayed with desperation. I cried out to God, God, please show us the way. Please lead us. And God answered as clear as I've ever heard him, move forward. And I knew when God said to my spirit that he was going to be with us every step of this journey. And you know what? He has been. He has been. Now, I have a feeling that there are some here today who are in that very same situation. God is calling something you to something you don't think you can do. And listen, I get it. I've been there. But please, let's remember who we're talking about here. This is the God of the universe. And when he speaks a promise to you, when he gives you a word, it can change you in an instant. 
And when we take action on the revelation, things begin to change. Things in your family, things in your marriage, in your work, in school, things that you thought were impossible. Because when God calls us, He goes with us. Courage comes from God's promise. Next, courage comes from God's presence. Verses 5 and 9, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God gives Joshua another promise that he will be with him just as he was with Moses. And that even now, even now when he felt alone in an impossible situation, he promised to never leave him, to never abandon him. Now, the word that jumps right off the page to me uh, is the word never. There is power when God says, I will never leave you. Or let's restate it positively. I will always be with you. And I think we've all had the experience, right, of people who when you least expect it, when it looks like all is lost, they jump into the battle with you. And there truly is an encouragement, literally courage put into you when you're going through the suffering and the pain and the challenges of life to have people who love you unconditionally, who walk with you arm in arm through the fire. And here's what happens. In those moments that you start to believe that despite the news that you got, despite the situation that you're in, not only is it going to be all right, but you can win. It's like that final battle scene in Avengers Endgame. In the smoldering ruins of the battlefield, when the Avengers are all but defeated, Captain America with his broken shield steps forward alone to face Thanos and his army in certain doom. When out of nowhere, crackling through his radio, he hears, Shh, Cap, can you hear me? Shh, Cap, it's me, Sam, on your left. And then... The portals open up and all the lost Avengers return. Cap calls for Thor's hammer and calls out, Avengers, assemble. Now look, I know it's corny. It's superhero comic book fantasy. Listen, I get it. But really, isn't it like that? When you realize you're not alone, your faith and your courage multiplies. In our lives, if we can receive encouragement from the presence of imperfect human friends and mentors, how much more can we receive courage from the presence of the God of the universe? And in the church of Jesus Christ, we need that so bad right now. And for what's ahead. When God tells Joshua, I will be with you as I was with Moses, I can imagine multiple memories that probably came to Joshua's mind, but I can think of two things that this text recalled that are key to getting courage from God's presence. The first is the power of God. Exodus twenty four twelve. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I've written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. So there on Mount Sinai, Joshua experienced firsthand the cloud and the fire and the thunder and the manifest tangible presence of God. 
there is a faith that rises up in you when the power of God comes on you. As New Testament believers, we need God's power to carry out His mission. Listen, that's what Pentecost in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. We are empowered for works of service in God's kingdom. And the second key is intimacy with God, Exodus 33, 11. <clears throat> then the Lord used to, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again from the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. When God told Joshua that he was going to be with him as he was Moses, Joshua could recall in a moment what that was like. He knew that that meant incredible closeness and adoration and time with God face to face like a friend. And this verse shows that Joshua was a man who was hungry for the presence of God. Are you hungry for the presence of God? Does your soul thirst for the living God like it says in Psalms? Listen, I, I know personally, I know in my own life, I sometimes settle for what I can do in my own strength. But lately, lately I've been, I've been burdened to seek him more. And, I, and I've talked to others. It's not just me who are sensing an awakening to passionate, intentional prayer. Now, one of the 12 values here at New Life is a God-centered lifestyle of worship and prayer. And you can explain that this way. It's, it's, it's intimacy with the Lord is essential. And as we worship and as we pray, it's a deepening of relationship. It's adoration. It's a, it's a response to God's initiative toward us. Because God, by his Holy Spirit, lives on the inside of us, we are people of God's presence. That means that we bring the kingdom of God and the presence of God into every conversation, into every situation. And one of the most powerful examples I've seen of this was a, a video I saw this just this past week from Todd's, Todd White's Power and Love Conference in Brazil. It's from this past spring. Now, in this video, Todd White and his team are walking uh, in the city. And it, what looks like, um, you've seen these before, these celebrations of zombies or, or celebrations of the dead or whatever. And Todd White engages with a young man who's dressed as a Satan worshiper. And God begins to move. He gets a word of knowledge that this young man, he's, he's creative and he, he's an artist. And in particular, he likes animation. And Todd White prophesies to him that God is going to put him into a career of animation and he's going to design things the world has never seen. <clears throat> Todd White then goes on to share his own testimony of how he was abandoned by his parents when he was a little boy and how that led him to a life of crime and addiction and how God rescued him. Todd White told him, I didn't meet church. I didn't meet religion. I met Jesus. And then he gets to look the young man in the eye and tell him that God has the same love for him. And at the end, he gets to pray with the young man that he would experience the love of God. It is so moving. It's a powerful testimony of God's love. Now, you may not be called uh, to walk into a, a festival of Satanism to pray, but God will give you the courage to walk into the dark places and the challenging places 
to tear down enemy strongholds. You know why? Because God is looking constantly for someone he can strengthen. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God wants to give you strength. Courage comes from God's promise. Courage comes from God's presence. And last, courage comes from God's word. Verses 7 and 8. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it, turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. In this passage, God is very intentional with his instruction to Joshua. He says twice to be careful to obey the book of the law. (coughs) In verse 7, God says, do not turn to the right or to the left. Don't deviate from the path. Stay on the line. Do not add to my word. Do not subtract from my word. And success in our mission depends on us being tethered to the truth of God's word. Now, God then gives Joshua a framework on how to do this. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. We have to proclaim the word. Now, a very interesting prophetic word today. One of the indicators in my own spiritual life is what comes out of my mouth. More often than I would like, I look back on conversations and I say to myself, why did I say that? And when I do that, I cry out to God, Lord, Lord, please help me to say what you say about that situation. God, help me to say what you say about who they are. What's their identity? And one of the most life-giving things is when someone speaks the truth in love to me. Listen, we all need to hear what God says about us. And that means we all need to speak what God says about others. John 6, 63 says, this is Jesus. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Can I ask you what comes out of your mouth when things don't go your way? Is it life or is it death? Is it blessing or is it cursing? Are you agreeing with God or the enemy? Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, In your hearts to God. What kind of advice are you giving people? Is it based on on God's word? Or or is it based on your own ideas and experience? It matters. It matters. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. God then tells Joshua to meditate on the word day and night. In other words, spending time 
in God's Word is not just an occasional event on Sundays or life group or at youth group. It's a lifestyle. Now, in the word meditate here in the, reg- in the original language, it means to, to think through and to process as you literally mutter and mutter God's Word aloud. You're murmuring it. You're speaking it out. I did that in my office this week with this text, and it, there's something about it. But I got to tell you, it's hard to proclaim God's Word. It's hard to meditate on God's Word if we don't spend any time in it. For some time now, there's been a a growing crisis of biblical literacy in the church. Kenneth Birding is a professor of New Testament at Biola's Talbot School of Theology, and he tells a a story illustrating our need for God's Word. And we've all heard the cliché, you are what you eat. Stacey Irvine was um, a young woman who ate almost nothing but chicken nuggets for 15 years. She never tasted fruit. She never tasted vegetables. And she occasionally would supplement her diet with french fries. One day her tongue started to swell and she couldn't catch her breath. She was rushed to the hospital. Her airway was forced to open. They stuck an IV in her arm to pump in the nutrients that she needed. And after saving her life, the medical staff sent her home. But before they did that, they warned her that she needed to change her diet or she needed to then, or if not, then she needed to prepare herself for an early death. Birding makes a comparison and says, quote, I've heard people call it a famine, a famine of knowing the Bible. And during a famine, people waste away for lack of sustenance. But during normal famines, people don't have access to the food they need. But Stacey Irvine, she could have eaten anything she wanted. She had the resources, the opportunity, presumably all the encouragement she needed to eat well. He goes on to say, like Stacey Irvine, we're killing ourselves. And it's surely not for lack of resources. How many Bibles do we have in our house? Nevertheless, we are in fact starving ourselves to death. Here's my point. We can't take courageous action if we're weak and undernourished. We can't. 2 Timothy 3, 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I want you to notice in this verse how it says all Scripture. Not just the New Testament. Not just all the letters in red. Not cherry-picking all the passages that talk about how we as Christians are a blessed people. All Scripture. And if we don't immerse ourselves in God's word, we won't be complete and we won't be equipped for every good work that God is calling us to. Follow the logic. God tells Joshua, after you meditate in God's word, now be careful to do everything written in it. Now he's talking about obedience. God is saying, Joshua, success in this mission in leading Israel into the promised land is dependent 
on your obedience. And not just your knowledge of my word, not just your, your understanding, your hermeneutic of my word, not even how it makes you feel. Is it hitting you in the feels? No, it's your obedience. Yes, we are to know God's word and proclaim it. And we need doctrine. But we need to stop being people who just agree with Jesus. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Now, our experiencing the word class is a great opportunity for you to begin to meditate, to begin to mutter and interact with God's word. And listen, as leadership, we are going to do everything we can to help equip you and strengthen your biblical knowledge. But there's one thing that we can't do for you. We can't help you obey. And for many of us, it's not a lack of biblical knowledge, right? It's a lack of obedience. We're in the middle of a a book study, uh, the book of Art of Neighboring on Wednesday nights. And the question at the heart of this book is, what is the most loving thing I can do for my neighbor? And on the first night of the class, we watched a video. Um, it's basically chapter one, but we watched a video where Dave Runyon, he's one of the authors, he gives uh, uh, the history and the backstory of how the book and the ministry started. <clears throat> In 2009, they were part of a citywide uh, pastoral and church network, uh, kind of like we were part of here. And in that city, they were looking for ways to unite uh, and be a blessing and, and to really make a difference in their city. And in their meeting with the mayor, it generated a huge laundry list uh, of needs that I'm sure are common to every city, affordable housing, at-risk kids, drug abuse, elderly shut-ins. Then the mayor said he, he, he believes that actually government programs aren't always the best solution. And he proposed the idea that problems might be best solved if they just figured out a way to become a, com- a community of great neighbors. The mayor said, relationships trump programs. The pastors noted that the mayor was unintentionally leading them back to the great commandment. In a follow-up meeting with the city manager, she suggested maybe they, they start shoveling snow for their neighbors and meeting practical needs. And, and Runyon was like, no, no, we, we don't want to do that. We want to do something big. We want to eradicate something. We want something big and sexy. Right? And the city manager in this dialogue, she began to show her data and theories on why neighboring was actually uh, a better solution. It actually solved problems faster. And then she said this to one of the pastors, and it stopped the conversation cold. She said to, to one of the pastors, you don't really think that we as city leaders see any noticeable difference in the way Christians and non-Christians treat their actual neighbors, do you? And there was an outcry in the room from the pastors. They began to get very defensive. No, no, no. You're biased. That's skewed. Your information's flawed. And Dave Runyon said, that's not just a perception, it's true. He went on to say that he's been in large gatherings and several of these type of meetings all across the country. He's been in, in meetings with over 500 leaders from different cities, and these leaders confirm it. 
Runyon says in the video, never once has a, a city leader come up to me and said, oh, Dave, Dave, oh, man, the Christians in our city, man, they are the best neighbors. It's not even close. It's never happened. Let's bring it local. What would Mayor Fisher say? What would your homeowners association say? Let me make it more personal. What would your next door neighbor say? See, there is a major disconnect, a cognitive dissonance. If we're excited to do acts of mercy across the city and around the world, but we won't go across the street. Jesus made it simple when he said in Matthew 23, 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with your, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, Jesus gives us no way of escape. He says in John 14, if we love him, we will obey him. God tells Joshua, and he's telling us, be careful to do everything that is written in it. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And sometimes, sometimes taking courageous action means walking across the street and having a conversation with your neighbor. Courage comes from God's word, declaring it, meditating on it, and obeying it. One last story as we close. In addition to being an abolitionist and an activist, Harriet Tubman was also a scout and a spy for the Union Army. She was actually the first woman to lead a battle in the Civil War. And on the morning of June 2nd, 1863, three federal gunboats set sail from Beaufort, South Carolina, up the Combahee River. Tubman had gained vital information about the location of rebel torpedoes planted along the river from slaves who were willing to trade information for freedom. And because of this information, Tubman was able to steer the Union ships away from any danger. She led the ships to specific spots on the shore where fugitive slaves were hiding and waiting to be rescued. Once ashore, the Union troops uh, set fire to the plantations, destroying infrastructure, seizing thousands of dollars worth of food and supplies. And when the steamboats sounded their whistles, slaves throughout the area knew they understood that they were being liberated. Tubman watched as slaves stampeded toward the boat. She said, I never saw such a sight. She said later, describing a scene of chaos with women carrying still steaming pots of rice, pigs squealing inside bags, children hanging on their parents' necks. In all, more than 750 slaves were rescued in the Kambahi River raid. Many of those slaves went on to be part of the famed 54th Massachusetts Glory Regiment, which was the first all-black all, all infantry regiment to see battle in the Civil War. And the, the 54th Regiment led the assault on Fort Wagner outside of Charleston, South Carolina in, in early July. And in the battle... The, the Battle of Fort Wagner actually helped turn the tide in the outcome of the war. And Harriet Tubman was actually present there 
at the assault of Fort Wagner, and she was with Colonel Robert Gould Shaw, reportedly serving him his last meal. The battle was short. It was bloody. 270 of the 600 men charged who charged Fort Wagner were either killed, wounded, or captured. And she describes the battle saying, quote, and then we saw the lightning, and that was the guns. And then we heard the thunder, and that was the big guns. And then we heard the rain falling, and that was the drops of blood falling. And when we came to get the crops, it was the dead men we reaped. The Battle of Fort Wagner left no doubt about the ability of black soldiers to defend the Union cause. And as a result, some 200,000 black Americans actually fought on the Stars and Stripes, on the side of the Stars and Stripes, and helped turn the tide toward freedom. Listen, Harriet Tubman's courageous actions were small steps that led to a movement that changed the course of a war, that changed the course of a nation. Joshua took courageous action and trusted God's promises. What's God calling you to? Where do you need to take action? For some of you, it may be opening your home to adoption or foster care. For some of you, maybe it's starting a business or a specific ministry. Or maybe, just maybe, it's walking next door. And introducing yourself to your neighbor. God promised he would be with Joshua wherever he went. That he would never leave him nor forsake him. And that promise to Joshua is an eternal promise that points forward to Jesus. Jesus is the faithful God who keeps his promise to the very end. On the cross, Jesus was forsaken so we could belong. On the cross, Jesus was condemned so we could be set free. On the cross, Jesus was pierced so we could be healed. And Jesus says to the church in Matthew 28, I am with you always to the end of the age. Preparation time is over. It's time to take action. And remember, when God calls us, he goes with us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, for your word today to us, God. God, we thank you that you are a faithful God. You are a God who keeps his promises, who keeps his covenants. Oh, God, I cry out for your church today, God, that you would put courage into us, that we would take action on the revelation and the vision that you've given us, Lord, and what you said in your word. God, help us. We need you. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do today in us. We're crying out for you. Help us, Lord. Help us to take action, God. We want to obey you. We will obey you, Lord. I pray this all in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So here's how we need to respond today. Two weeks ago, if you were here for Phil's message on vision, either that day or before, or maybe even today, God is showing you something. He's speaking to you something that he wants you to do. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Here's kind of the 
the practical call to action. I want you to get out your bulletin or, or whatever you're taking notes on. And, and I want you to take a moment just between you and the Lord. And then I want you to write down on that, on your notes, what are you going to do this week? Just this week. What's the one thing that God is saying He wants you to do? And, and, and next week when you're here, let's encourage each other and say, hey, how did it go? Right? Write down the one thing. Just take a moment between you and God.